Kraken Fancast, presented by Silver City Brewery. The podcast for Seattle Kraken fans, by Seattle Kraken fans. Release the Kraken! Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kraken Fancast. I'm your host, Chris Porter. I'll be joined momentarily by my colleagues Jim Cockrell and Nathan Gunderson for some Seattle Kraken hockey talk. The team is starting their formal, full team training camp this week. We are so, so excited about that. So we'll dive into some training camp preview chat, as well as some focus on young player prospects who could end up playing in Seattle eventually. Also, we'll talk about a new addition to the Kraken's front office, among some other news. Plus, we'll feature an interview I did with a guy named Andy Cole. Andy is the director of adult hockey for the Kraken Hockey League, which is a big rec league of... uh, various levels of uh, ice hockey players. He's been involved in the recreation hockey uh, world in the Seattle area community for many years and will share with us how the program evolved, how people can participate in the league, and much more about what he's working on. So uh, that's all coming up. Just a reminder, the Kraken Fancast aims to focus on all subject matter about the National Hockey League's 32nd franchise, the Seattle Kraken share news about the team, analyze their play, and go over various team-related news. We'll also at times present interviews, like today, uh, with people involved with the team, as well as those in the fan community. Plus, we often aim to go into some different subject matter you might not hear on other Kraken-related podcasts. We'd like to acknowledge our very kind and generous sponsors, Silver City Brewery, located in Bremerton, with their beer sold throughout the state of Washington and beyond. Beer for one, beer for all, Silver City, an all-inclusive Northwest craft beer adventure in every pint. And also, big, big thanks to the Angry Beaver, Seattle's number one hockey theme bar, located in the Greenwood neighborhood of Seattle. All right, everybody. So since our early September edition of FanCast, As I mentioned earlier, the Kraken added another person to the front office management of the team, uh, announcing that they had hired uh, an additional assistant general manager. And the general manager is Alexandra Mandriki. Alexandra Mandriki, she was promoted by the Kraken to assistant GM, becoming the sixth woman elevated to that position this offseason and the first to specialize in analytics. Mandriki's 31. She joins a growing group of women in the assistant general manager roles, along with uh, teams like New Jersey, Chicago, Toronto, and Vancouver also have uh, women involved in the uh, GM or assistant GM level. Um, Ron Francis was quoted as saying, I have always been in the school of thought that you find the best person available for the job. Uh, Alex isn't getting this promotion because she's a female, it's because she's earned this promotion. There's no doubt about it. She's already been involved in all facets of the R organization, from the pro side to amateur to management discussions. Mandriki was uh, one of the Seattle's first hires, actually, uh, even before Ron Francis. Uh, she, she was the director of hockey administration and was part of the general manager search committee that ultimately hired Francis in 2018. Since then, Alexandra has gained influence within the organization, obviously, because she got the assistant GM job. Obviously, there's some influence there and some uh, some effectiveness, perhaps. Uh, she now oversees an analytics team of uh, four other employees and said her department is expected to grow even more this season with additional hires. She'll be working side by side with fellow assistant GMs Ricky Olchek and Jason Botterell. So from what we uh 
understand from you know further uh, bio info on Alexandra, her, her focus on hockey is a relatively new one. Started focusing uh, on hockey in her college days. Actually, she was initially mostly focused on baseball and kind of turned over the hockey uh, realm, from what I understand one of her interviews. Uh, she's always been a sports fan, but her background is really in data analysis, hence uh, Ron Francis's uh, quote there about her analytics uh, knowledge. Uh, and frankly, data analysis is something that many NHL teams really, really embrace nowadays, certainly the Kraken have, and much like we've seen with baseball over the past 20 or so years. Nathan, what are your thoughts about this promotion, very big promotion for Alexandra Mandriki? Well, Congrats to her. I mean, if she's earned it, great. It remains to be seen what kind of leadership we're going to see. But, you know, like you mentioned, she I think she went to Georgia Tech. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about uh, how much hockey she really watched prior to her college days, but she got her degree in uh, industrial engineering. And then when she got hired with Minnesota, I think in 2014, 2015, she was there for a while, and then obviously she came here, and that promotion for hockey in general was kind of a big move as far as getting more equality. I understand that that's a big thing that's been going on over the last you know, 20, 30, 40 years, but now things are changing. Some people are uncomfortable. Some people think it's great. I think it's pretty cool um, to be one of six now in, in uh, hockey that have a have a position so big in their organization so kudos to her um we'll see we'll see what happens um i just have two things that i need her to do i need her to do everything she can to make sure that we win every game next season and uh one other uh move i'd like to see change on the bench but i'll leave that one alone for now um i think it's pretty cool um she was part of the hiring committee like you said with ron francis I don't know. I haven't seen much about what he says about her, but I'm sure that everybody probably thinks pretty highly of her if she's going to be moving up that fast in that role. So we shall see. Yeah, I read somewhere when she was named, there was a big ovation. I mean, it sounds like she's very well liked in the organization, in that office. And she's worked hard. And um, obviously, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, even though she does not have a long history with the sport, um, you know, she's, uh, she's been moving up quite quickly. So it's interesting to see. Um, and uh, we hope the best for her, you know, that she's going to, you know, whatever's going to help the team, uh, you can use all the slide rules and computer analysis you want. Is it going to help the team? I'm all for it, but that remains to be seen. So we'll, we'll see. So anyway, congrats yeah. to Alexandra. So obviously she's going to be super busy for the next few weeks and months for that matter especially right now that we're in training camp. I am so excited, guys. I know you guys are. I mean, training camp runs uh, September 22 through October 7. Um, you know, that'll also include preseason games. And it all leads up, of course, to the Kraken's first game on October 12th, which will happen in Anaheim. Um, there will be actually chances for fans. This is a little bit like last year. There will be chances for fans to watch training camp sessions at the Kraken Community Iceplex. And no doubt we'll see uh, some roster moves in the coming weeks. Um, for those who want to go check some of those games out, excuse me, some of those training camp uh, sessions out, 
uh, just go to the, the uh, NHL.com Kraken slash team slash training camp uh, site. And uh, that'll tell you a little bit about the times and uh, how you can get in. Mainly it's like first come first serve. There are a few that uh, I think at least a couple that are going to be for season ticket holders or depth members only, but uh, others are just first come first serve. So if you do go there, I expect a long line to get in, but they're fun. Jim, you and I did that a number of times last year. It was great to see the guys working out, being really close with them intimately and seeing what's going on with the coaching staff. And we'll get to see that uh, very soon. What, do, what are your expectations uh, in the coming days of training camp? Well, you're right. Last year, that was our first taste, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, that was just way better spectacle than I thought it would be in person. Uh, obviously, we'd never been to one locally. I'm looking forward to it just as much, if not more, this year because of the depth of the candidates that are showing up. You've got basically 60 players showing up. You've got the usual suspects of the veterans, and you've got our folks who are really excited about, like Veneers, Wright, Fergus Evans, uh, Winterton. By the way, Winterton is on an injury right now. He has shoulder surgery recovery that's not hockey injury related. I just found this out yesterday, I believe. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, so that's kind of a bummer. And I think he's delayed till it was a couple months in for sure. So that's kind of a bummer, you know. Yeah, but we're uh, thinking maybe he'd be in Coachella this year, right? No doubt. But the, he's got, you know, I, I, I'll get to the a Kraken prospect regulated depth chart here in a bit that's kind of been morphed around. I did some stuff on it too, but I'm taking a lot of other people out there and looking at some rankings here and I'll get to that in a bit, but we also have seven PTOs that are showing up. Um, one of them is Daniel Sprong of all. Um, and most of these guys have played in the A. Uh, one is played in the East Coast Hockey League and a little bit of NHL experience for another. So, and the, most of these guys have very limited game experience between the two, but they're going to get a look-see and we've got to build that club in Coachella. And the, you know, that's a perfect opportunity for these guys, but you know, that's, we've pretty much got our base roster. We've all known that for a while. We're just trying to figure out the guys that are going to be in Coachella and the guys that are going to fill in on rotation on injury and this, and then the healthy scratches. So you know, last year, I think they said they had, what was it, 30, I can't even remember, 36, 37 invitees or something. And here we are in the ballpark around there. I, I, yeah. So, I mean, we've almost kind of doubled the participation. So that's, that's great. We just jumped way up in, in stock and in, in that. So I'm looking forward to it. I still, I've been overworking lately working. I'm having some hard time trying to get some days off, but I really have got to get to one of these sessions and I'm not sure what it's going to be. And then looking over at the, the top 10 prospects that have been ranked recently, you know, you've got, I'll basically start at 10 going down to one. You've got Petro Sapala, who was undrafted. He's a Finnish kid uh, defenseman. You got Vili Odevainen. We've seen him. We were pretty impressed with him. Yeah. At, I was very impressed with him at the last um, camp, you know, right shot D good size. Ty Kartai, who's uh, you know, a sniper. He's definitely going to be seeing some time in Coachella. He could, you know, he's the kind of player that might get the bounce up on some injuries. If there's any cracking injuries, you know, some guy down there in Coachella that's, that's putting up some numbers is going to get it. And then you got uh, Yanni Nyman, who was our 49th pick a forward from Finland. We have three Finnish players on this list. Basically you got Winterton. He's out with the injury. He had a great OHL playoff. 
when he comes back, he's going to be seasoned. He's going to be hanging in Coachella for the most part. Ty Nelson, Chris, you saw him. I saw him. Everybody mm-hmm. saw him. I think he impressed a lot of people. Great skater, good physicality, uh, good gap control. He he could have a chance. You know, he's the kind of player that might, uh, you know, how we've all been looking at Riker Evans expecting the next thing, right, to step up. There might be a battle between him and Ty. I know Ty's young and he's gonna. They're gonna groom him properly. But uh, I was so impressed with that guy. And then you've got uh, David Goyette seems to be going up the ladder with a lot of scouts and a lot of coaches. We saw him too. He had a great camp, and he's. I'm hearing a lot of chatter out of him lately. So I'd be curious to follow him along there and see how he does. And then of course Riker, and Riker to me is a Riker bit Evans. Of a question. Yeah, Riker Evans. I mean, everybody loves him. Everybody, you know, still that mystery pick at number two uh, in the first year that everybody talks about. But he's kind of a mystery right now because when I saw him in camp last year, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'm seeing what people are talking about. I wasn't head over heels. But I thought this last time when we saw the development camp that uh, I thought there was a little bit almost backstep in there. I'm not sure. But um, after that, you've got, you know, Circus Fergus, Yager Fergus, who's quite the impressive skater and quite the skilled hands guy probably the most skilled guy out of all anybody on this list. It's just the size issue. He's probably going to be back in the or in the WHL and get another groom year just because of his size. I think they're going to take him, keep him back in the uh, WHL and, and, and let him finish out there. And then next year, you know, have him go the other route. What was his height? Like five, eight? No, I think he's five ten, but his, his weight, he's, he's like one fifty five. He's slender. He's, you know, he's, he's, I know. And then of course, number one, Shane Wright, who's, you know, I'm just, I can't get enough of watching content on this kid. I, I want him to have such a great year after everything that's gone on in the media. And um, you, you can't help but smile when he's being interviewed by any of the media outlets locally. Um, he, he's, he's got an infectious smile. He's very energetic. He's very appreciative. He's, he's just, he wants this. He, you can tell he's an extremely hard worker and he wants this really bad. Uh, I just hope it, he, he gets the job and he stands out and doesn't struggle um, with, with weird fitting in the roster and stuff like that, because they've got a decision to make at that 10 game commitment. You know, do we hang or do we send him back to the O and we all know the O is not going to do him any good, you know? So that's what I'm looking at. I am really excited about this, this, this whole roster right now, you know, now I'm not even bringing in the veterans yet. Talking well, about I know. I mean, I was just going to say that's a good segue because we're such geeks about all of this. So we're, looking at all the prospects I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, a lot of these guys are just going to, you know, end up in the AHL or whatever, but they're, they're, they're the future. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't get to see them obviously, because they haven't been playing here, but you know, we argue, argue, arguably one of the biggest questions is, you know, where is Andre Burakovsky and Oliver Bjorkstrand going to fit in and how are they going to look like and how, you know, we get, we get a chance to, see this in training camp as a matter of fact i think the first training camp is good for those who can't make it and obviously there's only so much room at the iceplex that's going to be streamed uh this this first one um or it was streamed actually i'm sorry while this is back we're 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 recording this uh on the first day of the training camp so uh when this gets released actually it'll have been streamed but that's a nice touch for them to do so we anyway we catch that on streaming and then catch some of it in, in person. And uh, that's going to be fascinating. And what, you know, who, what chemistry we're going to see, you know, Maddie and Shane together and, you know, what that's all going to be. I'm so psyched to see that. 
Yep. As we've said all along, the line combos are going to be, we're, we're all going to be sitting in the stands or watching on TV. And we're all going to be making our own lines and we're all going to be doing it on social media and we're all going to be kind of arguing about it, <laughs> but it's going to be the top six is going to, like Paul said, last podcast, Paul Brown or buddy, we brought him for a little talk. Right. Like he said, you know, for we have a bona fide top six now, no matter what. Last year, you couldn't really say that. You know, you had some quality players, but you between injuries and everything and guys being bounced around the roster, you could not build that top six, you know, unless you were playing out of position for the most part. But we are going to have a bona fide top six, and the two guys we picked up, they're going to make a difference for sure. Shane, right? I've watched a lot of interviews and some film with him and everything, but he just – one thing that stands out to me that he said recently was no matter what happens, he's appreciative of where he is and where he will be, wherever that might be within the organization. So that's, that speaks volumes for me. Yeah. He seems like a top-notch kid. I mean, Maddie too, when they were, they were interviewed, I'm, I'm impressed with what, what they say as much as they play, which is bodes well. You know, the other thing too, guys, I mean, you know, the goalie thing, obviously Grubauer's there and Martin Jones, like, you know, but, uh, be interesting to see in training camp because you know Joey Decord, for instance, we saw him great in training camp, preseason games. He had great numbers in the AHL, but then when they thrown him in the deep end of the pool, it's been arguably a little ugly. Although I wouldn't throw Joey under the bus for all of that. I mean, some of that wasn't his. Some of those goals weren't his fault, but you know he he hasn't seen happy days while he's been in the Kraken uniform in a regular season. And then I got uh, Magnus Helberg. They, he was another um, signee. They, typically, probably, you know, Helberg and Decord will start in Coachella and, and Jones backing up Grubauer. But uh, Jones has been in the league a long time. You know, you can't guarantee any everything here. Yeah, I'm curious about that whole tender situation as well. Because I was actually thinking about that today at work, thinking, you know, I wonder if, let's just say, Gru gets into a little spell where they got to bring in Jones. And I thought, what if Jones gets hot? You know, all of a sudden, kind of like last year. Remember, we were watching and we were sitting there crisp at games. And I said, uh, this is Drieger's time right here. This is his yeah. chance. Remember? And then it couldn't quite do that every time. And then and later in the year, he did. But it's like, that could happen at any point. You know? Oh, at the end of the year, we're like, oh, that's it. It's Drieger's gig now. Yes. And then he yes. gets hurt. Right. And that offseason shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. World championships. Yeah, thanks, thanks for nothing, world champions. Yeah, I, and Drieger, <laughs> now my understanding is, and I guess it remains to be seen, but theoretically, he's not out the whole year, but no, but probably the majority, probably a half, two thirds is the theory. Yeah, but it's going to be an interesting uh, rotation there for sure. And then same with Coachella, you never know what's going to happen. And then they've got that goaltender Callum Booth that they brought up on a PTO. Uh, that's playing right now. At, at, he was at the camp, the rookie camp, and he's a big guy. He's six four, and he played Providence and he played some East Coast uh, hockey league at Maine. So he might, you know, mit, fit into the mix down there in Coachella as well. I, I forgot to mention too. You know, coming up in a few, we got a Coachella. What do those guys do for training camp? They're, I mean, you know, that, I guess thing. I mean but the guys who are like I'm sorry. Obviously, they're at well, some of these guys are in the Kraken training camp. But I'm thinking the guys that, you know, the more that weren't invited, but they're going to fill up the, you know, the ECHL and, you know, and, and lower right. HL. Are they, are they working out somewhere? Well, yeah, they'll do their thing, but I mean, we do have a fair amount of the players that are, you know, yeah. Like you said, there's more this year than last year. 
for sure. And we've got yeah. a ton here. So, and it's, remember, it's pretty much a fresh squad where we last year we had that split squad. So that everybody's pretty much here. The coaching staff is running drills at the rookie camp. And I believe they will start running drills at the regular training camp for, and then move it on into the regular coaching staff. So it's, it's all part of that, you know, and remember they will, they will send just like other types of professional sport training camps. They will send players, you know, every couple of days back, back, back as they cut. And especially during those six exhibition games. So theoretically the, all of Coachella coaches like Bilesmo obviously will be there, but it was a little weird situation last year because they were sharing the Charlotte checkers with, uh, I think the right. Florida Bilesman was at training camp, but uh, you know, now he's got his whole coaching staff. So yeah, it's just, it's going to be more of a, more of a circus, more, you know, a lot, lot busier time for them. Yeah. You know, a lot more for things for Hackstall and as the assistant coaches which is yep. one extra assistant coach now this year. I mean, there's a lot more cooks in the soup here. Jeez. Totally. Totally. I want to circle back real quick, back to uh, Chris Drieger, just for a second. I've been trying to pay as much attention as I can, but I haven't heard anything about when, like the, the his timeline as far as, okay, he can show up to practice. He can uh, skate. He can do this. He can do that. And then start, you know, scrimmaging again. Have, have you guys heard anything? I mean, is it maybe mid-January, early February, something along those lines? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I, I, it's To me, and Jimmy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I just, it's been very ambiguous. Just that for most of the season, whatever that means. Yeah, it was most. It's uh, So when I hear that, I'm thinking three quarters anyway. So you know, Okay. Maybe we'll see that's him in February, late February, maybe. I don't know. I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Plus, he, he'll have to have his all rehab thing. Might even need to do a couple of games in Coachella to get, you know, back uh, in the groove again, because that's, that's going to be tough for him. I mean, right. so this, I mean, yeah. we sound like a broken record so much of the season also just, just falls on Grubauer's lap a little bit, you know, uh, what kind of, can he have a bounce back here? And we've seen goalies who had poor years bounce back. So why not Philip Grubauer doing that? But well, somebody said, I heard some stats a long time ago when he was struggling that, if you look at his past, it was a struggle every team his first year. So Capitals and then Colorado. So let's let's just hope for that. He should have a better team in front of him. That certainly is going to help. So uh, and they've all learned from each other. And we did see them gelling a little bit more, arguably uh, toward the end there. And it helped. Maddie was there, uh, helping all that. So yeah, I'm feeling good about it. You know, per our our chat with Paul. I think we're all feeling confident they're going to be more competitive. We're not holding our breath for playoff level, but they should have a lot more. Yeah. One goal games. Just remember that one goal games. There were a lot of them. Yeah. We'll see. So we'll have a little bit more reporting on, uh, cause one or all of us will get to see some training camps or in our next episode in a couple of weeks, we'll chat a little bit about what we saw. And obviously we, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll actually have some preseason games to talk about as well. Um, one other little subject matter, Jim, you wanted to bring it up, uh, has nothing to do with the play. Well, it has nothing to do with skill or play on the ice, but something else on the ice, the uniforms, there's this chatter that, uh, the NHL is going a little more toward, uh, what professional soccer has been doing for eons and even NBA has been doing of, uh, advertising on unis. What would you get some more badges or something's happening, Jim? Yeah. So I, that news kind of released at least a week ago or maybe a little more. And I thought, Oh boy, here we go. And they're talking about 
jersey patch type thing you know opposite shoulder of uh say where the the inaugural patch was for the Kraken last year something like that on one side or the other um and I thought oh man here we go because I look I'm old school you know that Chris like I said I grew up with white ice white boards nothing interfering nothing written anywhere no no merch in the stands no jerseys and I don't care that's fine when they implemented the uh helmet decal sticker last year I th- there was a lot of chatter on that and it's like oh boy and you, some people were like okay that's just going to lead to the next thing and I thought yeah maybe a couple two three years they'll talk about it. you'll hear about it and here we are we're not even a year and boom we're we're talking jersey slaps now and of course the retail jersey that you buy will not have that on only the players will have that oh so, really okay that's yeah that's that is a good thing yeah so but you, you know okay, and i just thought to, just to back up though but from your understanding it's just the shoulder patch well it's no it's it's going to be front shoulder like front part like you know where the oh. Okay. You know, yeah. like right here, like, you know how they have their Starbucks that did deal on their practice Jersey right now. It'd yes, be yes. something like that. Okay. So, you know, I'm not a fan of it. I get what's going on, but I'm also, and I know they're trying to so-called makeup revenues for the bubble two back-to-back bubble years and everything, but the NHL pulled out of that, that financial dundrum pretty well, actually. I mean, last year they set records for revenue. Um, the TV contracts were incredibly good. They doubled their money in sponsorships the HRR hockey related revenue is doing well. The escrow seven year plan is on point. Um, the ESPN streaming memberships are up. It's just, and also Seattle totally helped in all of this. Uh, they've already, the NHL has already said this with, with, you know, prop with money. So I just sit there and think you guys did well. And now you're already wanting to do this, you know, patch on. Cause they always want to be, more. You just said oh the my magic God. word money. I know, I know, but more. I know, but I've always said, and I, I realize this they, is about they money. They need to spend for money for Arizona Coyotes' existence. Whatever. And then I hear people say, like, oh, that's okay. That just means there's more money to the cap. And I said, yeah, that's all relative, though. It's how well do you manage your cap? That doesn't mean you're going to win the cup because you got more money in the cap. It's how well you manage it, correct? So what's I the Kraken's one going to say? Do we know? What I don't know, but I, I might as well say Starbucks. It already says it on their practice one, right? Yeah. And they've already got Amazon. Oh, and I did notice that the, you remember last year they had just the Amazon arrow on the dark helmet, on the home uniforms. It was just the arrow. Mm-hmm. And then the away was climate pledge font. Well, now I just noticed in a picture today, or maybe a couple of days ago, that the arrows there on the home dark helmet, but now it says, it actually says Amazon on a font above it. You know, just sliding that stuff in without us really even knowing it. Um, so there you go. I mean, I, I just, just said, I think the fear is, and we haven't really seen it too much. I mean, we did see, I'm just thinking like the Boston Celtics jersey is the one I remember, but there are some others like, let's say, G, you know, General Electric, it would be the GE thing. And it's kind of prominent there in the front. Sure. I guess, you know, uh, and so similar to what you're saying. But, you know, when you go to, and granted, these are from other countries, but my God, you just have like whatever, you know, Emirates and the you know I don't know if it's well, or whatever I mean word, it's all over the place and the jersey you buy does have the yeah yeah I know I know well so and the worst are thing and I think there's always that fear that that's going to happen um, I feel like you know the American sports business complex is sort of keeps dipping its toe but the but per year what yes. you're talking about it's dipping its toe a little deeper now 
totally. And I, I'm a little worried about it. I've always said, you know, that's going to bother me, but you're really going to bother me if you start toying with the rules when they have their general meetings and try to, you know, they sit down at their little, their conference table and say, what can we do to sell the game better type thing? And they come up with all the ideas over the years, you know, get rid of the red line. That's fine. All that stuff. But I've always jokingly said, and I kind of throw it in there with this advertisement stuff, but I've always said like, all right, the minute you change the size of the goal, I'm out. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and there was that talk. Yes, there there was was about because of the gold. Yeah, it's just it's right in there with the the reduction of the gold gear, you know, and stuff like that. Well, Jim, it's a it's a fair concern. I mean, granted, I'm talking about another sport, and it's a sport that goes slower, baseball and hockey. Nobody can accuse hockey of being boring. It's just constant motion and everything, and a lot of actually things that happened would hold up the game way back when were a lot of fighting. And so they've cut down on that. And so, you know, some of these games were, were out of there on under three hours. Uh, it certainly doesn't go more than that, like, you know, unless you go OT and it's always very exciting. So the younger generations that are supposedly, you know, have, uh, you know, attention deficit disorder and can't d- deal with long things supposedly. Uh, so some marketing people think. There is those guys, you know, they got to go in their owner meetings or rule meetings or whatever in some of these leagues. And, uh, okay, what can we change? There's always like, there should be some change, even though you can go back to the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But baseball, the reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, they did, they changed the size of the bases. They, the one that I really personally didn't like is that the, uh, they got rid of the shift or you can only shift so far. You can't do a full shift like they would for, you know, pull hitters and they're um, among some other things, you know, and, and some improvements I'm, I don't mind and some, but a couple of there, I'm like, why, you know, I mean, I, you know, there are reasons of just hurrying up the game or just because they thought it's market to your point, what you reminded me about this when you're saying marketing it and all of that. So when you see one sport that's been pretty pure, I mean, there have always been adjustments on the rules as, as there have been in the NHL, but they've usually been kind of small ones, you know, and I think that that was the most dramatic I've seen of a change in a major sport in a while, these new baseball rules that'll come into play next year. So your, your concern is understandable. What about, you know, Maybe that seventh inning stretch, they could cut that out. You know, take me, take me to the ball game song that everybody sings. You know, maybe scratch that and just get back to the game. There's three, four minutes that they can suck back into baseball. But, uh, you know, who cares if baseball is longer or takes four or five hours? People that like baseball, they like baseball. Not everybody likes to go to a game and bing, 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 one, two, three innings. Sometimes you want to see what's going on and it take a while. I personally have no problem watching a four hour ball game. I love baseball. Baseball is in my family. It's in my blood. Hockey, you know, they don't have to worry about that so much. So as far as those nets getting smaller, (laughs) I I don't see that happening anytime soon. I hope not. It was talk there for a little bit. Remember, Chris? Yeah, it kind of shut it up, though, when once you started seeing some games, you know, random games are like seven to two or eight to three or whatever. I mean, we're like, what what are you worried about? You know, and goals are going in, folks. Yeah. And you know what? I don't I'll take a defensive battle any day. 
a, a physical hard game with goaltenders standing on their head, I'll take that over a seven, five game any day. Be a better shooter. Get better shooters on your team or guy yeah. that puck handlers and all of that. And, you know, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, the NHL uh, champs, uh, they didn't have any problem scoring. Right. So right. Some can do it. Speaking of Colorado, what about that contract? Oh, McKinnon. McKinnon. Holy smokes. You know, no, I, no, it's it's happening. That's what's worthy these days. Yeah, but that's is McKinnon's is, is the most, is it? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is by by eight hundred thousand a year. Yeah, like so he's yeah he's he's out doing McDavid. Well, they love him. I mean, he's such a great fit, and I think besides his numbers and all that, I mean, he's you know one of the you know top three players in the NHL, but. You know, may, not as good as McDavid, but he's well, they're in the Colorado. Well, arguably, I mean, they're different guys, and they're different totally systems. different players. But yeah, it's, you know, they totally. But, stay you know, there. but I mean, that's it, it. Really gets down to how much that team values. I mean, they look at him, and he's he's their Joe Sackick, and you know, whatever you know, guys who were you know legends of Colorado in the past or any team. You know that that's the way they look at him, and I'm amazed. I I think I said this in the episode of a bunch of them ago i love watching that guy i mean and every year he seems to be getting better like mcdavid you know he was great anointed one the first his first season mckinnon you knew he was good but I, to me and i don't have his stats in front of me i could be off but just from my experience watching him he looks better and better every year that's scary man yeah and he's been in the league a while too so yeah you know that's a crazy contract yeah who else is going to get that kind of money you think who's next Similar, I don't maybe know, not but as it, much, it, but similar. Well, it sets the table for a lot of guys in the tier right below him to hang out in the, the eight, five, nine range. So it's just stepped up the bar in that next level of player big time. And there's a lot of those guys coming up for contract this year. And if they come up for contract, so we could see some, I mean, we see shuffling around in trades and signings every year, but uh you know, contracts and money that'll that'll dictate some of those moves, won't it? Right, it'll dictate pasta next year for sure. Speaking of guys who are getting more money and playing on, we had some retirees. One I didn't really see fully cut. It didn't shock me about PK Subban, but I didn't really see that. Of course, Daniel Chara, who's I know he's about eighty by now, right? He's <laughs> we were going to see see him. Uh, retire anyway and uh and uh uh you know right keith keith yendel right yep so that's three pretty big d actually um chara is not surprising to me um pk was surprising to me actually 13 year career yeah it seemed like he's he's his game stepped down he wasn't as as much of a, a force arguably but he still seemed to have more in the tank it was weird because uh obviously the montreal scene was great um, you know, they loved him there, but at the same time, they kind of had a problem with him. Uh, going to Nashville was good for exposure and good for the game there. Uh, and then this last move to New Jersey always had me puzzled because that market to me just seems like a dead market. So I don't know. He, but he had a lot of stuff going on away from hockey that, you know, and charities and all that stuff. He, he's got it going on. So, but I was surprised by that call. You never know what those guys are going through physically. And and I think you're right, Jim, though. Yeah, other stuff that he does, charity, whatever. I could see him being a TV guy. That wouldn't shit. He's got some personality. I could see him in front of a mic. He might even be able to come back, you know, to hockey in some other capacity, you know. Um, maybe even 
do some assistant coaching or something like that someday somewhere, you know, North Dakota or something like that. I don't know, but who knows? Yeah. They, I was listening on the radio today on NHL network and they were saying every one of the guys on the NHL radio network have all worked with him to some capacity behind a mic, you know, analyzing the game or, or just talking to post stuff. And they say he's just a natural and he'll probably end up doing it for sure. Yeah. He might be like a JT Brown, you know, kind of situation where he's, you know, in the booth somewhere, who knows where, but it could be anywhere. Well, he's had some good banter with Don Cherry before. That's pretty funny. I'm, I'm available on the internet. Go find it. I'll have to, I don't know how good his yeah. communication skills really are, but I guess we can find out. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Great stuff as always, guys. Uh, we'll be back this back at this in a couple of weeks. We'll have a lot to talk about on that one. Uh, speaking of a lot to talk about, I had a lot to talk about with a uh, fellow named Andy Cole. I met Andy recently, um, but uh, many have known him for a long while in this community. He's been a spearhead for recreational hockey in our area for many years, which eventually evolved into the Kraken Hockey League. The Seattle Kraken kind of bought out, uh, what was the name of the league before? It was like Greater Seattle Hockey League. Was that, am I right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so so yeah, Andy was running that, and um, and then of course uh, you know it's the Kraken Hockey League, and that he is running now. So he's actually a, an employee of the Seattle Kraken, and I talked with him about his hockey history in the community and what the Kraken Hockey League currently offers those interested in playing this great sport. So I'm here with Andy Cole, director of adult hockey and the commissioner of the Kraken Hockey League. Did I get that title right? It's a real long one, Andy. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's appropriate. Okay. Well, I, you know, I really want to hear about your history with recreational hockey in the Seattle area, but let's just start off with some basic info. What exactly is the Kraken Hockey League? The Kraken Hockey League is the biggest adult hockey league in the area. Um, right now, we're, we're just starting up this week, and we've got um, 132 teams. So it's about 2,200 players across probably 24 divisions. So it's all skill levels welcome. Um, many of the players came from adult learn-to-play programs that we've run. And prior to the Kraken Hockey League, I, I ran the Greater Seattle Hockey League for 20 years. So we we kind of had this history and then partnered with i partnered with the kraken and we blended this into the kraken hockey league which has taken it to another level with growth and awareness so um yeah it's it's been an awesome uh transition so far fantastic okay well we'll get into a little more detail in a little bit but uh let's talk a little bit about your background now where, where are you originally from I'm originally I was born in Boston, and uh, we uh, referenced a little Bobby Orr talk just before this, and uh, Bobby Orr was also my kind of conduit or introduction to hockey. So I was born in Boston, grew up in Connecticut, Bobby Orr Bruins fan as a kid, and um, I actually I, um, got to meet him once, and I got uh, an award from him when I was, I think, 17 years old at a, a banquet. I won a sportsmanship award. And it was one kid from each town in New England got to go to it. And 
my parents were divorced at the time, but they didn't do much together. But when I got that thing in the mail that said, you've been invited to this Bobby Orr banquet, they both wanted to go. So we went together. There you go. Hockey brings togetherness, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. it was because he was such a transcendent like star where my mom's not even a hockey fan, but she's like, what, Bobby Orr? I'm, I want to go too. So he was huge. So yeah. I don't blame her. Uh, so you started there and how, how did the, how did your life bring you to Seattle and when was that? Um, I moved here in 1990 and, uh, at that point, like I had played a little adult hockey in Connecticut after college, but wasn't thinking about hockey, but after about five years here started, um, you know, thinking, oh, I should try to find a hockey league or play. There was only a couple of rinks at that time. And when I, and this is so kind of pre-internet, so to get on a team, you had to go to a rink or look at a bulletin board or make a phone call. And it was really hard to find a spot. And you know, everybody I called, like, oh, we, you know, we're full or, you know, where did you play? And um, when I finally found a group, uh, it, was, it was going well, but then it started to kind of fall apart and I jumped in and, and kept it going. But that sort of memory of having, finding it hard to find a spot, uh, I kind of kept with me. So I've always made it really easy for new people to join this league. And um, sometimes people, you know, they're new in town, they come into this league, they might find their friends or their group and splinter off into a, a smaller skater group. But I'm always inclusive and open. Like, so I've, I've made sure we don't have any policies that someone would look into it and hear from me that we were full or we didn't have room. So there's, so there's just, just back up a little second. So you had, you found these guys, you had this, you know, they had this little league but you sort of inherited the running of it and kind of expanded it from there. Is that right? Yeah, basically it, it basically was falling apart. And, and as it, it was falling apart, I just realized, Oh shoot, it was hard to find this group. This one's kind of going away. And if I don't step in, it will go away and I'll have, I'll be back at square one. So I, I did step in, kept it going and, it just grew really fast, um, especially because I was welcoming to beginners because most, you know, back before a lot of these rinks were built, it's really hard to get ice time. So uh, you find your group and they're generally experienced hockey players and they didn't want to bring in people that didn't know how to play yet. Um, but the group I found did include these sort of adult beginners. And I just thought it was really cool that, you know, you could, because so many people didn't get to play it as kids, wanted to play it as kids and didn't have the opportunity, either money or parents wouldn't sign them up or they didn't live in a place with a lot of rinks. So um, it just seemed like a really cool thing for adults to to pick it up. So I've always embraced that, even though I did play quite a bit as a kid. Um, the, the adults really like appreciate it, where I, I think some guys that played as a kid growing up and, and maybe their parents paid for all their stuff. It was just something they did versus a kid who never got to play when he finally gets the the time and the money as a grown up. He's really he or she is really appreciative and, and really sticks with it and loves it every week. 
So back then, you've kind of answered this, but just to expand on it. So the hockey landscape, so to speak, in the Seattle area was seemingly pretty barren. It was very limited, uh, it sounds adult like. Adult right? hockey-wise, yeah. I would say adult hockey-wise, it was very limited. We kind of got lucky because several rinks were built just, just as I was starting this. Because we the, the group I was in before – we had maybe three ice times and they were all at 11 o'clock at three different rinks. And as soon as a new rink was built one way or another, either I reached out to them or they reached out to me and they were just like, we're building a rink. We have tons of ice. Can you buy ice? Can you bring your program here? So it, it was pretty, it was kind of lucky that we just fell into rinks were being built in the you know late nineties, early two thousands. And was it a slow build over time or did you, did it really get, cause I mean, I, I obviously this is all time high. I imagine you said 24 divisions, 2,200 players. That's extraordinary. 132 teams. Wow. That's more than I realized. I, I 132. 32. Yeah. teams. Yeah. I, so that's, uh, that's an extraordinary number. How long did that take to to get to that level? Cause if it was just still the greater, greater Seattle adult league, right? The, yeah, I would say I started it summer of 2001, and that first summer there was roughly 20 teams, 24 teams maybe, and then the first fall, winter, we went up to like 38, but the thing I was with before, we only had like six teams, so it was, I mean, it was surprising. I had no, I had no idea there was that much demand, and, and I just put up posters and just threw it out there, and uh yeah, it just kind of surprised me. And and the growth rate over the first 10 years, I mean, I, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but it was something like, you know, winter one was 36, 38 teams. The next winter was 50. The next one was 70. The next one was, it It, it just kept growing. Um, wow, and, you really tapped into like this oil field of hockey interest. So much for, I imagine you guys, I used to get, you know, I've been here since the late 90s. And uh, I don't have much experience playing hockey, but I'm a big hockey fan. And I'd hear from a lot of locals, oh, well, this isn't a hockey town. Eh, NHL would never work here. Ha <laughs> ha, we have the last laugh now. But I mean, I imagine you must have gotten that. And it was extraordinary you, how many people you found who really were into it. Yeah. And there's so many transplants here. So many East Coasters, Canadians, Midwesterners. So it's a mix of experienced people moving here um or like i said some somebody might have grown up in a boston or a detroit and was around it but didn't get to play it and jumped in um and back when um i forget the year but when todd lewicki was the president of the seahawks he gave me a call jumped in we found him a spot he was playing for a few years so i think that really showed to him this could be a hockey town was a hockey town i've heard him reference it a few times that you know he he saw it he he saw the the numbers and the interest and you know it, it uh yeah i i, I think i i knew i knew we could support hockey so so fast forward a little this grows you got this thing you already know todd because he was a player that's great connection obviously and so then the seattle kraken organization comes up and what happened? They they give you a call and they're like, let's let's team up on all of this. Kind of. Yeah. I just was, I mean, early on it was just more of an idea and a group. 
and you know ex exploring you know and, and then for a long time it was called nhl to seattle it wasn't the kraken yet but yeah i think since um i guess i really got involved with the group before todd did i think because todd was at the nhl and tim tim lewick he was you know had the, the the ovg group and um yeah i just kind of stayed in touch um you know was going to city council meetings and uh yeah, just just sort of staying around it with John Barr with his NHL to Seattle group. John Barr learned to play hockey in our league and still plays in our league. So I knew him. Uh, he was inviting me out to these different groups and events. So yeah, I was kind of there at the start and didn't know how it would work out, but I just knew I wanted to be involved with it and wanted to, you know, find a way to work together because. I couldn't, I, I mean, and we do, like we, part of what I brought with me was this relationship with these other rinks and I, and we've kept that. So I really like that. Um, Everett's and Kent's and uh, Olympic view, you know, these different rinks get to share in, in this growth and, and be a part of it. So it's like instant community partnerships. Um, but yeah, it's, it was, it was a, it was a windy road. I can't even remember exactly all the twists and turns, but but I stayed in touch and they stayed in touch and we uh, we came together. Great. Well, some great support for you for what you're already doing. Uh, what's the age range of uh, the players on this? Uh, 18 is the youngest. Um, and I would say we've got maybe 75. You know, we, we still wow. get some people in there. Uh, early 60s late 50s early 60s taking adult learn to play for the first time so you can pick it up at that age and still have a lot of fun um uh last night was the first night of the 40 plus season um and even though it's called 40 plus i would say the average age is closer to 60 um so yeah it's 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 really all ages of adults Okay, and is uh, and you mentioned the season started. So is this? Uh, do you take the summer off? I didn't know if this was year round or how how many months it runs. It's year round. Yeah, there's. I would say we we drop in participants maybe fifteen percent in the summer, but most guys and gals they want to play all year. So there might be a week or two break in between seasons, but no, we we it's it's a year round thing. Okay, and you, you good transition. I was going to ask you about uh, ladies. Yeah, do you have women's leagues or are they co-ed? How, how does that work for women? Yeah, officially the whole league is co-ed and there's women on most of the teams. I would say we have maybe 15 to 20% women across the league. However, we did start a new women's division in the summer of four teams, all women. So there's 60 women in that. And we just opened that our first fall season of that group on Tuesday and that filled up again. So we filled up those four teams and uh, they're having a great time. So it's, and most of those women play on two teams. They'll have their co-ed team and their women's team. And they, you know, I try to ask them what they like and don't like about it. And they kind of, most of them love both. They're like, Hey, I like, I like my women's group. I like my co-ed group. They're both fun. They they have their pros and cons, but it's uh, it's rare for somebody, for any of the women to say, you know, 
I really strongly prefer one or the other. They most kind of like both, just a different different experience. Yeah, I, I can relate. I do co-ed softball for many years, so same kind of vibe, yeah, for sure. Yep. Uh, I want to jump back to something you mentioned uh, about the adult learn to play program. T tell me about that. Yeah, um, we always are offering something. We've, we do programs anywhere from eight to 12 weeks. So um, it's new people come in. Um, they don't need to have any experience at all. Um, but we do, if, if they're really, really new to skating, we'll steer them towards a learn to skate class. And we have a huge learn to skate program. So some people will take that and then come to learn to play. But we do work on skating a lot and learn to play. Um, usually we tell people, if you can skate from one end of the ice to the other without holding on to anything or anyone, you can start the learn to play hockey class. But if somebody's literally never been on skates or holding on to the boards, they go to learn to skate first. And they might take a seven or eight week class, then come to join us. Um, what I do is give them uniforms in the first class too, and tell them, you know, that they're welcome in the league that we're, we'll make them into teams. Here's when the next season starts. Cause I, it's so new to so many people and, um, they have a lot of questions and I just try to steer them. That's not the right word. <laughs> I try, I try to make sure they know there's opportunities to be on a team. Um, and even after I tell them sometimes several times they'll they'll say how does how does it work again how does it work and i say you've got your uniform you're basically on a team at the end of this class the next week there'll be a game and you're on the team it's just a matter if you want to continue on with it and some people don't some people might want to take the class again or maybe they just want to do drop-ins or stick and pucks but the vast majority are happy to be on the team and they just uh, have a great time we are short on goalies. I'm for whatever reason, I used it used to be, you know, you need about one goalie per 15 people or one person to decide to become a goalie. And uh it's a harder um or it's fewer people are interested lately. So if anybody's um interested in being a goalie, they will be, you know, sought after and cherished. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, you may be getting a call about that soon, Eddie, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, if someone is interested in participating in the Kraken Hockey League or any of these uh, uh, learn to play programs, anything in your world, how should they go about finding out more info and ultimately signing up? Yep. The, the place to go is KrakenCommunityIcePlex.com. That's the website for everything that we do at the Iceplex. And they would just look under hockey, adult hockey, learn to play. It's really easy to find it. Um, it's uh, we're actually starting. I'm not sure when this uh, podcast is going to air, but we have a class starting this Sunday. So we just started one last Sunday, another one this Sunday, and then uh, it's a 12 week program. At the end of that, we'll start another one, but it's, it's really easy. And also there's two of us that work full-time in the adult hockey department, myself and Nate and you know, we're always available to answer emails or phone calls with questions, help people find gear, stuff like that. It's it's pretty easy to get in. Fantastic. Well, you're doing some great work and helping, you know, to say the least, helping grow hockey uh, in our community is 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 you're doing a huge job there. So that's this is awesome, Andy. But before I let you go, I want to ask you more of a big picture thing uh, away from your work. 
obviously, you know, you're a Seattle Kraken fan now. And uh, do you get to go to a lot of games? What are your thoughts? You know, when you came here at a time when there was no NHL team, there's only junior teams. And now we've got this NHL team. What's your, what's your overall thought on the Kraken and how it's, you know, obviously it's changed your life to some degree, right? Yeah, it's awesome. I, I do have season tickets or I'm part of a season ticket group. And I love going to the games. I went to a lot of games last year and it it's kind of cool to see sort of the power of the the Kraken brand or the, the major league aspect of it because my family loves to go to games. So I have I'm part of a group that where we have four four seats. And in the past, when I go to, you know, maybe Thunderbirds or Silvertips games. You know, maybe one family member came, maybe went with a buddy. When I got these Kraken tickets, I thought I'd be maybe going with some hockey buddies, but everybody in my family wants to go every single time. And it's it's great. And my daughter especially loves to take her friends who've never been to a game before in their life. Uh and it's just so cool. The 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 brand new arena, the you know, the all the the game presentation so you know i get to kind of see firsthand a bunch of new people like really get into hockey so it's it's really cool and i think there's i still bump into a lot of people that say they still haven't been to a game yet so there's so many more people i think that'll be coming out to their first game this year and falling in love with hockey so it's i think i just think the whole thing is awesome and i'm looking forward to the start of the season and we're sitting here overlooking the the first day of training camp right now. So I can hear the guys practicing right now and uh, everybody's getting excited. Yeah. I'm hoping to make it up either uh, the session a little later today or, or maybe uh, uh, tomorrow. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Andy, thanks very much for, for joining me. And uh, we look forward to, to uh, seeing you around the rink this later this year and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for, uh, invited me to this and I'm, I'm glad I met you and this was great big thanks for Andy Cole joining me on that it was a great discussion with him and uh we wish him much luck moving forward with the Kraken Hockey League and thanks much uh to all of you for listening to us as always Kraken Fancast will be up uh, approximately every couple of weeks so uh we hope you'll join us and keep joining us you can go find us at Seattle KrakenFancast.com also find us at Spotify and Apple Podcasts Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, which we are going to be utilizing more this season. And uh, also find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at CastKraken. You can also find us at KrakenFanCast at Instagram and on Facebook. Thanks much, as always, to our fine producer, Jay Middleton. We'll be back in a little while with more stuff, hockey Kraken stuff, that is. And uh, for Jim Cockrell and Nathan Gunderson, I'm Chris Porter. We thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, we say, go, go Kraken. Kraken.